0: Episode 177 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the mathematical magic, how the fuck does it work episode of the SLS cast, because it turns out that 177 is the smallest possible magic constant for a 3x3 three three prime magic square. And I have no fucking idea what the fuck I just fucking said. I guess this is also the how many fuckings and fucks and derivatives of fuck can I fit into the opening of the fucking show episode of the fucking SLS cast. And with that wonderful mathematical weird fucking magic knowledge that I don't know how it works, I of course am mad and coming to us all the way from
1: fucking sunny California would be our resident Sony employee. Tim, well, if we weren't going to get anybody to nominate our show at the podcast awards, then we're definitely not (laughs) going to have anybody nominating the show now under the categories of people's choice. You don't know. There
0: might be a whole bunch of people with Tourette's and people who like to say fuck a lot.
1: And it'll be their people's choice. They're just like me. Fuck. I can relate to these guys. That must be a good stereotype for people with Tourette's. Straight out in 1995.
0: Yes, yes. Apparently, that is the ultimate stereotype—the one that will never go away—is that they just randomly curse. Um, and it is actually much wider than that. It's a whole bunch of series of different kinds of ticks. It's just that's the one that got popularized. That's the one that gets made fun of and satirized. And so that's the one. Anybody—that's the only one anybody really knows.
1: I wasn't expecting a schooling. On this episode, Matthias.
0: Well, you better fucking
1: learn to accept it. I will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's up, dude? Good news, good news. I have a desk. I'm finally writing, or not writing. I Well, I've been writing, but I am finally recording in my new office, at my new desk. And this is the first time I've properly recorded this show at a desk since the early episodes since nearly five years ago i guess
0: Ooh, so you're going all the way back to toss episodes man tos episodes toss toss the original series the original series i
1: didn't understand that lingo there you need to provide me a manual or a key for all these sayings that i'm i'm not hip with apparently (laughs)
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So how was your 420? Did it turn out to be as waterlogged and or exciting with your deck building as you were hoping?
0: Uh it rained a little bit, but not much. And uh yeah, we were good. We we definitely had a definitely had a fun time. Played some excellent uh game stuff there with the legendary action and everything. So had a had a fun time. And then uh went off to school and that was pretty much my wednesday and uh yeah yesterday i like to try and break my thumb at work that was fun
1: how'd you almost break your
0: thumb at work well all right so i've got a bag of pizzas <laughs> right and i'm walking out the door and they did not have any shock mats or just basically regular floor mats because it it was raining again yesterday and so out went one foot, other foot went out from underneath me, I went everywhere, the bag of pizzas was heavy, and and of course I'm holding to it in my hand, um, and it just locked in, wrapped around my thumb, I went, I my body went one way, my arm went the other way, the pizzas went sideways, and I crashed into empty Pepsi crates, so I crashed again, I mean it was, yeah, it was all sorts of jacked up anyway, so I guess the strap of the bag hooked up against my thumb and yanked, and... I mean, it's still, like, the discoloration is gone. Like, it, like, fucking turned black and shit. It was, like, and I couldn't move and uh, move my hand. It was, like, I was, like, holy fuck, did I just break my fucking hand or whatever? You
1: know, if that was a scene in a movie, that would be product placement galore. Oh, yeah.
0: With the Pepsi stuff and the Papa
1: John's. Yeah. So,
0: now, my thumb is still swollen. Like, pretty obviously swollen and kind of looks a little twisted. But I think that's just because of the swelling um but i i can move it again it's still tight i don't really have the full gripping strength that i did prior to my accident yesterday um but uh i mean i i don't think i'm gonna need like you know surgery or anything like that do you freak your kids out with it Nah, they were already in bed pretty much by the time i got home last night so they just kind of got to see it on the way to bed They're like oh what happened to your thumb Eh, no big deal <laughs> so. go to
1: sleep After you look at those. Yeah.
0: Really go to sleep. Think of the ugly (laughs) gangrenous thumb in your dreams. So
1: as you're caressing
0: their hair with it while they're falling asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was definitely fun. I was really pissed off. And then, and of course then yeah. So this morning I woke up and now my shoulders hurt. My, my neck hurts. My legs, my, my literally like my ass hurt from where I landed and stuff. Um, so that was fun to deal with. My boss texted me this morning. He's like, is your thumb really broken? And I'm like, no, I don't. I actually, I think it's I think it's going to be okay. I think it was just strained, strained pretty badly. And he's like, okay, do you need to go to the doctor or anything? I was like, nah, I think I'm pretty good. The discoloration is kind of... He's like, fucking discoloration? What the shit? So I was like, yeah. So it was kind of fun.
1: And uh, that's about as exciting <laughs> as my life has been, man. Well, luckily you perfected the masturbation technique with your feet. Yes, I have I have long been in uh
0: great strides and, and practice sessions with the stranger. So I'm I'm good with the masturbatory aids.
1: You can get AIDS from masturbating? What
0: hey, you know there are there are chicks out there that put condoms on vibrators, so who knows what the hell you can do to yourself nowadays.
1: So how about that news of the weird you've got cooking up since last week? <laughs>
0: I do have some news of the weird. Uh, yes, please, this is please tell MS... me it
1: ties in. It, it provides a great segue from condoms on vibrators.
0: It it might. It might. It's got the word textilizer in it. Does that, does that help? <laughs> textilizer? Exactly, yes. From MSN.com by way of CNBC and Sarah Witten in an accident. Hand over your phone to the textilizer. Yes, that's right, folks. Miss Miss Witten opens as follows. Move aside, breathalyzer. Police in New York may soon be equipped with a textilizer, a device that can determine if a driver involved in a crash was text was driving while texting. New York Senator Terrence Murphy and Assembly Assistant Speaker Felix Ortiz have partnered with distracted operators. Risk Casualties Please oh my god Did you just hear that (laughs) An awareness organization I totally missed this when I first read this Last week The awareness organization is called Distracted operators Risk Casualties You heard that right Dork (laughs) Dork that is amazing holy shit i mean it's d-o-r-c but still you know you're just gonna say dork oh my god all right
1: <laughs> i think matt's week just got better it, it really did it, it really did uh let's see here quote
0: i have often heard there is no such thing as a breathalyzer for distracted driving so we created one end quote ben lieberman co-founder of dork said in a statement <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so apparently it does not now this textilizer purportedly does not provide police with any content on the phone like conversations, contacts, photos, etc. Uh but it would at least say I guess if it's been in use in terms of texting or whatever within the last, you know, 10 minutes or something like that. Um it's kind of interesting though because the police or the the courts did rule that cops cannot even look at your lock screen without a warrant so there is that now i don't know how the textilizer will work with that but what do you think tim do you think do you think that uh the police you know someone's texting while driving or otherwise distracted looking at their phone facebook and twittering themselves and everything um and and if they are twittering themselves i hope they have a condom on their cell phone because those things get dirty. But uh would you be down for someone to be textalized?
1: Yeah, I mean they already do stuff like if you get in a bad car accident and if you hit somebody in some states they automatically take your phone and take it to a lab and that lab goes through to make sure that or to see if you sent out a text around that time or received a text or have been messing around on your phone. I think anything with eyes at the end of it sounds threatening, but ultimately, it's harmless for all the good folk. Interesting. Like, sodomized. If you're good, you'll enjoy it. (laughs) Right? Is that how it works? And going to the mailbox.
0: uh, Let's see here. Our mailbox is, of course, the show at slscast.com we don't have any email this week but we do have a new twitter follower to mention um and of course you can follow us on twitter at the sls cast this uh this particular twitter follower runs by the name of dale w blindheim and that uh is at toward the one get it toward the one huh yeah uh and his thing is his shtick is connecting great guests with terrific podcasters so dale hit us up we would love we would love a guest we're podcasters we think we're terrific
1: yeah we'll take leonardo dicaprio benedict Cumberbatch, maybe throw in some Tom Hiddleston. We'll we'll take them off your off you your know, plate. At
0: this point, at this point, I would take Lark Voorhees from Saved by the Bell. I, I, you know, I'm good with that. Let's you know, let's not set our heights
1: too high. Can we get Kinky Friedman on the show?
0: <laughs> hey, you know, if we can get Kinky, we might, we just might be able to get Sammy Hager? Well, actually, I was thinking more along the lines of um, uh, Willie Nelson. But, yeah, sure. Sure, we could go with other dead people or whatnot. I don't know.
1: And then we also have one follower uh, who goes by the name of Nun. And Nun shall remain as Nun. Yes. Although, at this point, Nun may have
0: quit the internet, apparently, according to your... According to your sources. Alright, well then, I think if uh you've got nothing else, we can go right to the news, can we not?
1: Let's spare these people and Moseon over there.
0: Oh, it's it's far too late to spare them. But if they're still listening, thank you. Here we go, folks. It's the news <laughs> so first up from me from chicagoist.com by way of kirsten onsgaard mel brooks will host blazing saddle screening at the chicago theater that's right folks Dubbed Back in the Saddle Again, the event on June 12th will include a screening of the 1974 film, followed by a Q&A and conversation, in which Brooks will discuss his work and how the film came together. The production is part of a short nationwide tour. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, it says Brooks here, it it says here, Brooks once described the making of the film this way, quote, Blazing Saddles was more or less written in the middle of a drunken fist fight. There were five of us all yelling loudly for ideas to be put into the movie. Not only was I the loudest, but luckily I had the right as director to decide what was in or out end quote um so again if you're gonna be in the chicago area if you live there uh it's june 12th at the chicago theater at 4 p.m and tickets range between 78 50 and 93 50 and went on sale today at noon we're recording on monday the 24th uh so they'll have been on sale for a few days by the time you hear this but still if you got 100 bucks and you're gonna be in chicago sounds like a could you could have a worse day? What do you think, there, Tim? If you could go, would you go? Because I know I would.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, I know he does some uh, around here. He does. He, there's a couple screenings of Blazing Saddles that happen periodically, but only a couple, only a handful of them does he actually attend. So, if you are in the Chicago area, do go and check it out because I'm sure he'll give a nice little talk of the movie which would be well worth whatever the price of admission is oh and then uh if you do go and you do get
0: lucky enough to ask a question ask this question do you think they could remake blazing saddles today because i am sure the answer he will give will be absolutely amazing provided he goes further than no are you fucking insane you know as long (laughs) as he expounds on it i think you'd be in good shape all right what do you got there for us tim
1: Alrighty, first up, via deadline.com, Google and the blacklist team to fund scripts focused on computer science. Matt, are you into computer science? Do you love computer science? I loved the movie Weird
0: Science, which had computerized boobs and Kelly LeBrock when she was hot. Well,
1: there you have it, folks. This is written by Amanda Naduka. Google is using a speech at the Tribeca Film Festival today to unveil that it's computer science education in-media program run by Julie Ann Cromit. Period. (laughs) It's a weird sentence. The online giant is partnering with The Blacklist to offer financial grants in support of developing scripts centered on changing the image of computer science and computer scientists in pop culture. The submission process begins today and runs through July 15th, today being April 20th of last week. Beginning in the fall, the script site will grant up to $15,000 to three screenwriters, one feature, and two episodic pilots as they work to craft their scripts over a six-month period. At the end, each writer will present their work to Google and address how the grant was used to advance the projects. Writers will retain all rights to the work. Writers with scripts on the Blacklist site are also eligible. This project is part of an initiative from Google's computer science education and media program to encourage and inspire young people, especially girls and minorities, who historically have been underrepresented in the field, to not only use technology, but also to create it. Uh, I think this is pretty interesting. It's it's a fun little motivator, I think, for Google and the blacklist to do together. I'm I'm pretty sure there are some people who listen to our show that are into computer science. And hell, if you're into computer science and think that you have a good idea for a script, you only have until July 15th to submit your work. And please, for the love of God, when
0: you put computer direction action in there, let them hit the fucking space bar. Oh my god, let them hit the goddamn space bar when you show them on the fucking, you know, put it in the script notes. All right. They can use the space bar on the keyboard,
1: works. It works. Nobody in the fucking movies uses a fucking space bar ever. Are you talking about like whenever it does like army compound five, four, three, two, one, and then like it's left sitting there blinking?
0: Everything no, I mean, literally, yeah, everything, like if it's programming, if it's writing, if it's sending on uh, if it's sending an i m online, if it's writing an email, anything in the world, nothing uses the fucking spacebar, like somehow, if you use the space bar, people will go that's not real, but i mean but but unplugging the computers or unplugging the monitor stops the hacker, i don't I just. <laughs> Maybe that's why Google has this whole fucking thing. Because <laughs> that, is their, they're, 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 <laughs> that
1: is their motive. That is their true They're like, We're fucking tired of you NCIS. Quit fucking up this
2: shit. <laughs> we're
1: gonna we're gonna solve this with science and knowledge.
2: <laughs> and
1: then I'm gonna jump into this next article, uh, because I think this will prompt some interesting Matt exclamations, possibly. <laughs> From TheVerge.com, the weird future of movie theater food. That's right, the food that hardly any of us actually purchase at the movie theater might even get weirder. Who knows? This is written by Brian Bishop, and it says this. Every year, movie studios and theater owners come together in Las Vegas for the CinemaCon convention... There are presentations about upcoming movies, sure, but CinemaCon is also a trade show, and that means the various vendors that serve the theaters have the opportunity to show off their wares. Think of it like CES, but for reclining chairs and designer popcorn buckets. We're talking about an event that has an entire trade show floor devoted just to food products. And I'm not going to lie, visiting that ballroom was amazing overwhelmed by the smells of butter sugar and soda i flash back to my childhood trips to the movies where the candy selection was always endless but at Cinemacon, junk food is actually a business and you're not just looking at the selection that's available today you're trying what theater owners may buy to stock in your local multiplex tomorrow Candy is such an important part of the show that no less than 24 different food products were included in this year's swag bag for attendees. Ooh. And so I'm going to read to you some upcoming products that you could buy at your local best seat in town. (laughs) And I'm just going to read some lists here. Matt, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, do butt in. Imagine a taco... But the shell is a bag and inside are cheetos and anything else you want to dump inside enjoy (laughs) it's called a top and go the walking taco next up are oreo churros these aren't new but i'm not eating them right now either so clearly there's work to be done yes that's right oreo churros also white castle's trying to get into your local movie theater Filling a gaping hole in the movie food that won't kill you market comes movie Edename. That's right. You can soon get Edename buckets at your local best seat in town. And this one here, this isn't technically food, but the patented hands-free popcorn buckets lets you share popcorn in your cup holder. Shockingly, this is logical according to this reviewer here. And it's basically a normal popcorn bucket sitting on top of a cup. That will fit into your arm cup holster of your chair. Uh, next up here, the booth for candy it's, company. You know, you would think that they would just let you use your penis to hold the popcorn
0: bucket. So that would be hands-free. And then the girl can stick her hand in the popcorn bucket.
1: Well, then you get unwanted juices. Uh, then, then that's when you get the unwanted salt on, thought, your, on your I girls. I thought
0: that's why people put things like, you know, raisinets and goobers into their popcorn, right? It's, just, it's the sweet and salty.
1: Well, there's only a particular kind of goober you want to be getting out of that popcorn bucket. I just can't fathom that. I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off. go ahead and finish oh it no, up. it's fine and and I'll just end with this one. There is a whole smorgasbord board of stuff, but then lastly here, the booth for candy company Mars was promoting its candy uh I was about to say you're <laughs> promoting its candy molesters. <laughs> with candy uh, Maltessers, M-A-L-T-E-S-E-R-S, as a movie theater exclusive, the booth staff also didn't want me to use this picture because the chocolate coating wasn't perfect. Because they're going to be... You're going to have candy chocolate uh, mothballs or malt balls or whatever, and the people that are working... The the teenagers working that counter on a Sunday afternoon is going to take into consideration how perfectly coated those balls really are. I don't know. Matt, is there a particular movie theater concession that you would like to see at your local best seat in town? Yeah, I can think of a concession.
0: <laughs> Let us bring in outside food and drink. <laughs> All right, but that's probably not the kind of concession you were talking about. Um, I, You know, I guess I'm just such a traditionalist really when it comes to the old uh when it comes when it when it comes to to the to the old movie theater that unless i mean if i'm not already there to drink right like if i'm not getting a beers or whatever uh you know i really i'm just kind of a popcorn and popcorn and soda kind of guy um i used to do like the little butterfinger bites or whatever but would you put it not in your popcorn, popcorn or no, no, I see I'm I am just a I'm a popcorn purist. Yeah. I only do popcorn. And even now I don't do the butter anymore. I just do the popcorn in the bucket.
1: Yeah, my favorite thing to do now, thanks to Tarantino's new Beverly Theater that I used to live by, I'm really into frozen candy, like thin mints. Yeah, not thin mints. Shit, what are they called? The minty chocolate candy? Concession peppermint candy, patty, York Peppermint Patty. Kind, yeah, but the smaller ones—they're they're smaller and normally in a Junior Mints. Yes, there you go. Frozen Junior Mints are absolutely delicious. So I think that that might be my okay, Kryptonite see, now that's concession.
0: Cool. Like, I guess you know, I if if you're going to do something like that, I would like. To, I mean, and I appreciate that they're trying to innovate, but I mean, it's got to be something like something people want. I mean, I just none of that stuff sounds in cheaper. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's see here. This is the last piece of news from me, uh, from theguardian.com by way of Ben Child. Golden Globes change comedy rules after controversial win for The Martian. That's right. Trainwreck director Judd Apatow has last laugh after dramas with comedic overtones are banned from next year's Best Comedy or musical category Uh, one of hollywood's most profile award ceremonies the golden globes is to change its rules following controversy over science fiction epic the martian's victory in the best comedy or musical selection in january The decision by the makers of Ridley Scott's blockbuster to compete as a comedy was widely criticized. Trainwreck director director Judd Apatow said dramatic movies with humorous content should not be able to, quote, pick whatever category, end quote, they wanted to be in, and pondered whether movies with Asian cast members might now be able to compete for best foreign film. Now, the Globe's organizers, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, have moved to ensure the issue does not rear its head at next year's ceremony. New rules will mean, quote, dramas with comedic overtones should be entered as dramas, end quote, reports Entertainment Weekly. Uh, let's see here. The Martian was narrowly voted in as a comedy by a Globe's eligibility, eligibility Committee in December. Scott's film beat Apatow's train wreck, The Big Short, Joy and Spy, to the award for Best Comedy or Musical, while star Matt Damon rather compounded the controversy by also winning Best Actor, In a comedy or musical. Um, All right, so I'm just going to stop there. There's the rest of the article uh, is actually interesting. Includes a tweet from Judd Apatow that they quoted in the article and stuff. I mean, I can see where Apatow is coming from, but how unfunny does your movie have to be when you can't come as a comedy, as a true legit full comedy? You are not as funny or as good overall as the Martian. I think that says more about your comedic ability than it does the fact that the Martian was good and funny. And if and if he's gonna be like that about it, then he may as well drop the musical aspect, right? Because what if there's a musical? How are they supposed to compete with the comedy? So, I mean, I I can see I can see where he's coming from, but I I just don't think. That I, I don't think he chose the right horse to back, in terms of getting upset about it this time. But that's just me. What do you think, Tim? I don't know. Did you see Train Wreck by any chance? I heard it was a train wreck. The best <laughs> part about Train Wreck was John Cena. Oh, really? And I watched all the scenes that John Cena was in. He was funny.
1: Really? What made him so special?
0: Good about that movie. Um, it just honestly he he just has really good timing it turns out he like he can't do a fucking a fucking action movie to save his goddamn life but he's got really good comedic timing um and it just like in the movie theater and stuff like that he's in he's in a scene in the movie theater and he like goes off on these people it's and it's really funny also he comes he's either there before that or after that a couple of times and so i saw like a seven minute clip and it had like just the stuff that he was in really good stuff um, but I hadn't really heard much else about that movie at all, and now Amy Schuster, is that her name? Schumer right? I... Amy Schumer, 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 yeah, she's kind of on the shit list now for com- for comedians
1: because oh, stealing she jokes, was stealing material. So I have a love hate relationship with Judd Apatow. I think he's a cool guy. I think he's talented. Forty year old virgin. But before that movie, there wasn't quite a movie ever like that. So it kind of started a trend with, you know, like Knocked Up and a number of movies that he's produced have kind of started their own trends as well. Uh, Predominantly Seth Rogen movies, I guess. I mean, that could either be for the better or for the worse. I don't know. But. I didn't see Trainwreck, so I really don't like saying anything bad about it. But I do agree with you in saying that, well, if your movie wasn't funnier than The Martian, yet The Martian still got nominated for Best Comedy, (laughs) Comedy and or Musical, then that is saying something. Now, do I think it was right for The Martian to be nominated uh, uh, nominated for Best Comedy? No, not at all. The movie wasn't a comedy. The movie is most definitely obviously a drama with some comedy in it and i think the whole the, the line has been blurred too much what i mean by that is that people think of a drama like oh uh, i have this idea of like a drama has to be a drama it has to be super serious it can't be that funny it cannot be funny oh but any movie that you know has some chuckles in it that has a smart ass character is now considered a co- it just doesn't make any sense the label putting is just ridiculous. Whatever happened to to like having a drama movie or even a thriller with some content in it that you're not used to seeing in that specific uh, genre? And this also falls back into kid and family movies from the ni- uh, from the 80s, where you have material that one would see in a PG 13 movie now that back then was just a part of you know your run of the mill a kid adventure film like the Goonies they said shit and hell and damn yet the movie was still considered a kids or family film so I think there's just too many labels going on with movies where nobody wants to call a certain movie a a, a thriller they have to call it a horror movie because they think it'll get better marketing or they'll call this other movie a horror movie but really it's just a damn good thriller and so when people go and see it they think they're seeing gonna go see one thing, but really it's totally something else. And I think I mean I think part of it is definitely marketing, uh more so than the consumer, but it the whole thing is just kind of fucked up. And I think it is it is it is shown here plain as day with the Martian and that whole nomination for it being comedy. Right on. All right, well that
0: is by news, so bring us home on the news, sir.
1: From Business Insider Deutschland For some reason, the Dutch Business Insider Amazon Prime Video now has four times as many movies as Netflix. This was written by Nathan McElone. Nathan McElone. And it says this, As Netflix has shifted towards original and exclusive shows and movies, the size of its catalog has gone down. Research last month showed that since January 2014, the number of titles available on Netflix in the U.S. has shrunk by 31.7%. This was particularly pronounced in movies where Netflix's selection had gone down by over 2,000 titles. Netflix now actually has four times fewer movie titles than Amazon Prime Video, one of its major competitors, according to research by Barclays. And guess what? There is a chart here, and the title of this chart is Amazon's Library is More Than Twice the Size of Netflix's Library. Here for Amazon Prime Video you have... 8,405 movie titles and they have 1,981 TV titles for a combined total of to, uh twenty thousand and three hundred and eighty six movie and TV titles Hulu has six thousand six hundred and fifty six movie titles. They also have three thousand five hundred and eighty eight tv titles. combined total is ten thousand two hundred and forty four and then finally Netflix has only four thousand and five hundred and sixty three movie titles and two thousand four hundred and forty five TV titles. Yes, Netflix does have more tv titles than amazon prime's 1,981 titles but again amazon prime video does have 18,000 titles more so than netflix with its 4,000 titles so that sucks matt i know you were talking about this some weeks ago on this show um I'm I I I think you also have all three of these guys. I at least have Hulu plus Netflix and Amazon Prime, so it doesn't affect me too much, but do you think it's about time for somebody else to have the recognition and maybe this will give Netflix a little I think um- it's too late.
0: No, I honestly I think I think it's um I think it's too little too late. What we're seeing now and I don't have Hulu. I I I personally see no reason to get Hulu. I don't see the value in it um I don't understand the appeal of it anymore. I think I think that when they began, they were amazing and they just fucked it all up. Um but uh, that's just me. So if you if you have it and you're happy with it, hey, awesome. Um, but at this point, what we're seeing is now the basically this is this it's at this point that the scale has now tipped and customers will now be getting ass-fucked because we have now seen the conglomeration and it's down to the big three, right? Hulu and Netflix and Amazon. And from here on out, it's basically just going to be, we've got this feature and nobody else does. We have more choice than anybody. You It doesn't matter if you have more choice if you don't have what I want to watch or if you don't have what I regularly watch – then I've trained, like, I know I have Amazon Prime, Bosch is fucking amazing, right, and um, Transparent, what the fuck is that, where'd that come from, what a great show, right, but outside of that, I don't think to go to Amazon first, I think to go to Netflix first, and then if Netflix doesn't have it, then I go check Amazon, and so, now it's just turning into this thing. Hulu's like, hey, we've got broadcast TV faster than anybody else. That's our shtick, right? Um, and now everybody's also developing new content. And it's like, well, we've got this great show. Oh, we've got this great show. And at this point, it's just trying to get most people. It's just now trying to get all the sheeple to go squirrel, right? Uh, you know, that, that that's what they do on MMK, right? Squirrel. And they look off. And, and that's what they are trying to get them to do. Because at this point, once everybody starts going, ooh, squirrel, instead of, ooh, something compelling and a reason to actually be here, that's when they can start fucking you in the ass. And that's when you end up with the cable companies the way they are and ISPs the way they are. Because it stopped being about innovation and amazing technologies and the things that we can do. And just, ooh, look, shiny. So... I, I really don't think it matters. I think at this point, it's just trying to get more people to just say, oh, well, if Amazon's got more, I guess I should go to Amazon and just, yeah. And and I don't really know if, <clears throat> if, if really where the end game is because <clears throat> they're not really gonna shift anything from people who are already there. And the vast majority of people who are already there are the people who have already been there. So people like you and me and and other people especially like cord cutters and stuff um we we've already been online, right? And again, you have a subscription to all three. I have a subscription subscription to Netflix and Amazon. So congratulations. You you keep getting my money cuz you were already getting it. I don't I'm, you know, um so maybe now they're now that they're seeing that cord cutting is is more and more and more and they're just trying to get those cord cutters to come with the shinies,
1: i guess time will tell sorry that was (laughs) no that's fine um and then my last two pieces of news i think this one right here might be my favorite at least it's the most interesting to me uh, via Variety.com, Clint Eastwood shooting Sully almost entirely with IMAX cameras. This is written by Brent Lang, and it says that Clint Eastwood is shooting Sully, his upcoming biopic about the U.S. Airways captain Chelsea Sully, Sullenberger, almost entirely with IMAX ca- cameras. Quote, Clint decided to try it, and he just loves the cameras, end quote, IMAX CEO Richard Gelfon told Variety. Eastwood used the Alexa IMAX camera to capture Sully's heroic plane landing in the Hudson. When Sully opens on September 9th, it will be the first film released where virtually the entire movie was made with the technology. Anthony and Joe Russo, the directors of Avengers Infinity Wars Parts 1 and 2, will use a new 2D digital IMAX camera to shoot all of the two-part films. But those films don't hit theaters until 2017 and 2018. IMAX does hope that as many as five films a year will be shot using its cameras. Roughly a half hour of next month's Captain America Civil War was filmed with IMAX cameras. IMAX is riding high after a stellar first quarter earnings report on Thursday... Revenues at the company behind widescreen entertainment complexes rose 48% from the prior year period to $92.1 million, while adjusted earnings per share hit $0.22, cents, a 214% jump from the year-ago period. That easily trumped Wall Street projections in the stock market has been on a tear all morning. That is exciting, and, it, and you know, it just goes on to talk about how uh, what attributed to that excess was Deadpool, Zootopia, and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, all being shown on IMAX. I think it's kind of interesting hearing this news, because when I first heard that IMAX was expanding, I know over by UMAT, I too used to go to the Santico Silverado Theater there in Tomball, Texas, and it was an amazing it was just amazing to know that an IMAX movie theater was being was opening up in a neighborhood nearby, or at the at a local movie theater, and it's it's a great experience and it was fun and honestly at the time I thought well oh, it's gonna die out we're not gonna have that many movie theaters with IMAX screens I mean nobody's gonna want to pay that surcharge well it turns out people are paying that surcharge and will continue to pay that surcharge when you have movies that cater towards that big IMAX screen experience. And then finally here from io9.com, CBS might have shut down another Star Trek fan film. That's right, this is written by Catherine Trendacosta. Following on the heels of CBS's extremely detailed lawsuit against the fan film Axanar, we now hear that another Star Trek fan film has been told that it should probably stop. This time, it's Star Trek Federation Rising. Federation Rising was going to be the sequel to last February's fan film, Star Trek Horizon. It was supposed to begin a $250,000 crowdfunding campaign this Saturday, so it's kind of a mixed blessing that notice from CBS came when it did. At least, there's no money to return. Creator Tommy Kraft explained on Facebook what happened, saying in part, "...earlier today, executives from CBS reached out to me and advised me that their legal team strongly suggested that we do not move forward with plans to create a sequel to Horizon. While this is a sign of the current climate that we find ourselves in with the Star Trek fan films, I want to personally thank CBS for reaching out to me rather than including us in their ongoing lawsuit." against Axenar. It was conveyed that the reason CBS was reaching out to me was due to the legal troubles stemming from the Axenar case. Again, CBS did not have to reach out personally. The message I received felt more like they were giving me a heads up before we got too involved in another project, rather than a group of angry executives swinging a hammer. End all quotes there. Matt, do you have anything to add to this CBS might-be-canceling Federation Rising news? Or not necessarily Fuck canceling. CBS. Fuck CBS.
0: <laughs> I mean, seriously. Okay, see, it's, it's pretty fucking clear that now that they've opened this can of worms, that they are now—I mean— they now even they don't know how to close it because anybody who does anything substantial in making a legitimate fan film. And again, fans, these are people who, I mean, they're doing this out of the love of their hearts. And while yes, they are also building their resumes as well, which is nice on their end. Cause they get to have acting credits and produce, you know, production credits of whatever uh, caliber. This stuff still costs money. And so, they want to make, and they want to make these things as best as they can. Not because they're trying to rip off CBS, but honestly, because they're trying to keep, they're, they're trying to make it worth watching. And the more things that there are worth watching keeps the brand recognition up. Now, if they were in any way, shape, or form purposely going out of their way to sell this stuff or license it or anything, of course, completely overstep their bounds. But when you've got 30 plus years of fan stuff and in the last 15 years everything that's available on youtube and stuff that people do actually buy just saying you just can't pick and choose basically what they what cbs has done is shot themselves in the fucking foot because now it's like shit we can't let anybody do this anymore and everybody's gonna get mad and then when they do finally release this fucking show they got coming out nobody's gonna watch the show and they're like Well, man, we spent all this money, and and now nothing. Well, you fucked everybody in the ass, and they didn't like it very much.
1: I think we should start our own Star Trek audio show, SLS Cast Rising.
0: Let's call it Captain's Log, Stardate, 8259.9943, rounded to the nearest decimal point.
1: But Spacebar, but Spacebar.
0: Yes, Spacebar. We don't have to worry about Spacebar in the 24th century. All right, so that was the news. The angriest news we've had in a while. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, that's right. All right, and now it's time for...
2: Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim... Matt and Tim will discuss the Express.co.uk article by Neil Norman, Dark Side of Oz, The Exploitation of Judy Garland, and now, Discussions with Matt and Tim.
0: All right, yes, discussions, let's discuss. Now, I did tweet this article out on Monday night or Tuesday morning in the wee hours because i wanted i really did want to make sure that y'all had an opportunity to uh read it if you were so inclined i was really kind of hoping someone would send us an email about it but you know such is life i guess i'll just have to quit the internet to go find out where none is and see what's up anyway all right so dark side of oz the exploitation of judy garland uh, let's see here. The the headline here says it's the it's the prize winning role in the BBC's new hit show. But for innocent teenager Judy Garland landing the part of Dorothy began a brutal exploitation from which she never recovered. <sighs> Whoever gets the part of Dorothy in the forthcoming production, oh, who cares about that? Da, 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 uh, but at, at anyway, let's see here. It says it's likely, it's hardly likely that this person who gets. Anybody who plays Dorothy will ever share the experience of the actress who originated the role. Judy Garland was 16 when she won the role of Dorothy in the MGM musical in 1938, and it was to mark both the beginning... And the end of her career. The insecure teenager was by that time addicted to barbiturates and uh, amphetamines and was on the road to alcoholism. In addition, she was routinely molested by older men, including studio chiefs, who considered her little more than their, quote, property, end quote. Uh, Let's see here. In many ways, Garland was easy prey for the Hollywood predators bulldozed by her mother, Ethel, into movies at a very young age. Garland won a contract with MGM in 1935 and quickly established a pleasing girl-next-door image with her fellow child actor, Mickey Rooney. Garland, Rooney, and Deanna Durbin were inseparable companions in these early days while they worked their contracts for the studio, waiting for the big break. MGM ran them ragged, starting another film within days, sometimes hours, of the previous one in order to squeeze as much as possible from their young talents. Consequently, the teenagers were often too tired to work and were given adrenaline shots and pet pills to keep them awake. When they couldn't sleep, as a result, they were given barbiturates and sleeping pills. In Garland's case, the pill popping popping had begun long before Louis B. Mayer, the tyrannical head of MGM, got his grubby paws on her. While on the road, as the gum drops, a diminutive of her real family name, Gum, her mother, Ethel, used to feed uh, Garland and her two sisters pet pills to keep up the punishing schedule and maintain their performances. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, moving let's see here. So it says also that the young Garland was also deeply insecure about her looks. She was surrounded by the most glamorous stars of the decade, including Lana Turner, Eva Gardner, Hetty Lamar, Greta Garbo, and Claudette Colbert, among others, and considered herself deeply unattractive. Uh let's see here. The fact that Meyer that uh Mayer commonly referred to her as, quote, my little hunchback, end quote, can't have much done. Uh, done much for her self-esteem indeed although he thought she could sing he remained unimpressed by her appearance with the result that garland was constantly having prosthetics applied to her nose and teeth her waist was brutally corseted and she was put on a diet that would have killed most people this diet by the way included chicken soup black coffee and 80 cigarettes to curb her appetite Cheating would result in a reprimand and a trip to the doctor to be given diet pills, which gave her insomnia. Uh, she was also, like I said, like, literally molested. People would, like, grab her and touch her in very inappropriate ways. Um, it. I mean, yeah. I mean... It was, let's see. Here we go. <sighs> she. This is something that Garland said. Quote, in our house, the word of Louis B. Mayer became the law. End quote. Garland said later, he took to groping her in his office, telling her as he put a hand on her left breast, that she, quote, sang from the heart. End quote. Um, this is, yeah, I mean, she was controlled even after she got married. The studio and her mother pressured her. After, she was married, legitimately married and pregnant. And the studio and her mother pressured her into an abortion. Um, you ever wonder why she was so fucked up later in life? This is this is why. Uh, Tim, I mean, I, I know I've just been kind of going
1: over this article here, but Good God. It's amazing how some stars actually survived, air quotes there, survived the Hollywood studio star system. Because back in that day, um, as what uh, Matt kind of uh, discussed there, there was the studio uh, system in place and a part of that studio system was the star system or the star making system which is where the studios would exploit their stars or promoting their stars and on top of that they would create their stars they would take a uh, and, and you saw this also with with like mickey rooney for example they got him when they were young they got him when they were just kids and that they knew that they were going to be something because they had that charisma they had that acting charm together that they just bred them within the studio system and uh, kind of brainwashed them into doing whatever the hell that they wanted to do this could also be seen when actors like Joan Crawford or Rock Hudson or even Cary Grant they had to change their names to these very fancy movie star sounding names Cary Grant was originally named Archie Leach, Joan Crawford was Lucille Fay LeSueur, and Rock Hudson was, of course, Roy Harold Shearer Jr. But Roy Harold Shearer Jr. and Lucille Fay LeSueur, and certainly Archie Leach, don't sound like Hollywood actor and actress names. So they had to be glamorized quite a bit. And these personas were created for them. And with Judy Garland... She passed away in 1969, I think, wasn't it? And you look at pictures of her, she was only 47 years old. 47 years old she died. And you look at pictures of her, and she looks like she's in her 70s. or a- I've seen 80-year-olds that look better than she did at the age of 47. It's very, very sad, because Judy Garland was super cute, Super talented. I mean, honestly, her talented her talent was in the forefront. Amazing singer. It's just very depressing reading this. I, I've always known about it, and I've always heard about it, but it just really conjures up a lot of anger within one, especially when it pertains to the golden age of Hollywood, that whole studio system, because when we look back on it normally, like with Hail Caesar, we view it as... Something grand and something wonderful and something that maybe the current studio system would benefit from. But then you hear stories like that and you realize, no, the studio system, the star system, that whole system, its foundation is scandal and kind of corruption, moral cor- corruption especially, and it's just sad, very sad. So and it didn't get any better for her. Yeah, yeah, it and didn't.
0: This, and the worst part of it was, is it didn't get any better for her. She actually had a tv show um that she was pitched back in the 60s and she was like well i don't know if what i do is really good for you know half hour programs why don't we just do a one hour thing and we'll do like one a month right we'll just do one every month for an hour and you know run a season or two like that and see how it goes and they said, no, 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 no. We, we'll, you know, we really think that thirty minutes a week is 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 good. So basically, they lured her in with all these promises and stuff, and was like, no, no, it'll be great. We'll guarantee you for a few years. Blah blah blah. And so she goes in, um, and she does. So she signs, and then as soon as the ratings started slipping, because again, they didn't do what she wanted, they start treating her like shit. And at one point. They literally said, "Well, we're gonna like shit can everything that you're doing, uh, because what you were, what you know, what you're doing isn't wholesome enough, isn't American enough." And this isn't a board meeting, right? This isn't a board meeting. Chairman of the network is there, and she literally gets on the phone in the boardroom and she calls John F. Kennedy. It turns out she was actually friends with him and Jackie. So she calls him up. She gets him on the phone. She's like, did you catch the show last night? And he's like, yeah, we watch every week. What'd you think? Did you think it was like wholesome or anything? He's like, yeah, that was the, that was like downright American fare. And so they get off the phone because now the president of the fucking United States has just said this chick's all right. And the, and the guy and the fucking guy literally screams at her. I don't want this fucking cunt ruining my show. It's not his show. And then, when they do finally give her the axe, um, the very last song that she ever sings, you can go look it up online. There's, uh, It's on YouTube. It is like... Like, I'm literally getting chills thinking about how just amazing this performance is. And it's just just devastatingly sad song. But it's not... Like, slow, it's very upbeat, very in-your-face. And, I mean, she fucking owns it. Oh, my God, does she own it. And they cut it, just to spite her. And they went, I mean, this was all the way to the end of her fucking life. This poor woman just could not catch a fucking break. Actually, that was the problem. She did catch a fucking break, didn't
1: she? What year was it, do you know? The the year of that show? Uh,
0: 63? Oh yeah because uh it was definitely I mean it was definitely before uh Kennedy passed away which would have been November of 63 so I'm thinking
1: yeah 63 to 64 says here crazy that's what we were missing from Hill Caesar the, the depression yeah do you need a stress ball
0: i'm actually let's see oh oh my god it was CBS ah <laughs> 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 uh, okay If you go and search um, YouTube and just put in that Judy Garland performance I told you about, it'll pull it up. And it was from 1964. So that was Discussions with Matt and Tim.
2: (laughs) And thank you for listening to Discussions with Matt and Tim. Join us next time. When the bonus segment will be Did It Age Well? Featuring 1984's Purple Rain In Remembrance Of Prince Once again, thank you for listening to Discussions with Matt And Tim
0: Alright, well Without further ado, what do you say we get to the damn Movies? We, we must, let's do this Here we go folks, it's The movie all right this week's movies are the invitation from 2015 because there are like four different the invitation movies um so i probably should have specified that last week (laughs) if you watched it my bad it's the
1: one that came Uh, out this past month on vod and and stuff yes
0: Yes. Uh, Let's see here. Look Who's Back, which was available on Netflix, and The Jungle Book, 2016's Jungle Book, the Disney remake. Not to be confused with the Andy Serkis Jungle Book that's coming out in 2018. Where do you want to start, sir? How
1: about The Invitation...
0: The Invitation. All right. 2015 American Horror Thriller Film, directed by Karen Kusama, and stars Logan Marshall Green, Tammy Blanchard, Michelle... Uh, let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. Mikhail Husman, uh, Emiati Corianaldi, and I apologize if I'm butchering these names, Lindsay Burge, Mike Doyle, Joy Jay Larson, and John Carroll Lynch. Uh, let's see here. This is about a... F- Uh, a get-together and kind of a healing if you will that takes place between will and his ex-wife eden at eden and her new husband david's home where they are kind of dealing with the residual effects of the loss um of ty which was their young son it's an accidental death will and eden they they couldn't handle it they split up will has actually brought his new girlfriend kira and of course eden is remarried to david by this point um it's kind of like a dinner it is a dinner party and at first you're thinking wow could this be kind of like the perfect coast uh which was the david hyde pierce thing but then it takes a more sinister turn very quickly as this dinner party gets together and people are seemingly not able to leave Um, and Will seems to suspect that things are going on but things never quite go exactly the way Will suspects which causes doubt shenanigans ensue as they say and the movie plays out Um, alright so the movie all right, the, the movie is not exactly um poorly acted. I think that the for the most part the acting is pretty on point and the characters themselves, the characterizations that come from these actors, um are believable. Um where I really find fault with this movie is the story. Because it's like the story just can't, the story in and of itself, the script just could never really decide what kind of movie it wanted to be. And instead of leaving you like, guessing like, oh no, what's going to happen next? You're kind of left with, is this a horror movie? Is this a thriller movie? Is this an apocalyptic kind of a movie? Is this, um, you know, it's a disaster? What? What is this movie? And because of that, you, you're you just never really invested, or at least me personally, I was never invested in it. And I don't necessarily think it's a fault of the director. I think the director, she did a, a very decent job in conveying what, what she could from the script itself. And again, I thought the acting was decent, although it gets really dumb by the end of it. But again, I lean on more of the writing for that not so much the acting um and that's really kind of all i gotta say i mean the movie starts off interesting has some kind of cool uh twists and turns but probably about 25 minutes in it literally just goes off the rails now it's not that you can't follow it you can follow it it's just it doesn't it just doesn't convey any sense of cohesiveness in storytelling as a result, I give this one 2.25. I can't really say I fully didn't like it, but it's not really even okay either. So, 2.25. What do you
1: got there, Tim? I enjoy the movie. I appreciate it especially because it has a clever premise, and it does have some nice tension building. But by the end credits, I just wanted to jump into the movie and... And slap everybody across the face. And bear with me because I'm not going to spoil anything. But it might hint towards something. So just as a warning, I don't think it'll really affect the overall experience of the film. Because it's kind of obvious where the movie is going. But the movie just doesn't want to fess up to it. You know, like, you know, something is going to happen. You know, there's something more to the movie, but the movie just wants to keep you guessing when there's really no guessing to be had. When I say I wanted to slap everybody, it's one of those things where you're faced with a decision. You either stay, witness what's happening, and then die, or you stay, witness what's happening initially when it happens and then act upon it and do something about it opposed to being those people where you're 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 fake and shocked not sure where to go but you see somebody doing something and really you should act upon it and do something about it because for one thing you have objects all around you you have glass all around you things that can be used as a weapon all around you but nobody ever takes any of that into consideration So the film is peppered, I I should say littered with stuff like that. That particular example isn't until the last, maybe, I guess you could say the final act of the film. But when it comes to characterizations and it comes to the storytelling in general, it just felt like I was watching a low-budget, amateurly made film. Now, does that mean it's a bad movie? No, no, no. Like I said, it was a nice, clever I think an original premise, you've seen movies like this before with this type of setup. The the premise is interesting. What gets you involved and what actually gets the people there is important. And I think overall, it worked. And the tension building was very nice. With me, I'm very nitpicky and I look into things a lot. So it might have just bothered me more than, say average Joe who's just wanting to watch the movie because they're genuinely interested in it and can just turn their criticisms off and have a good time. If you are that person, then yeah, I think you will be pleasantly surprised by this little movie. It's well shot, it's well made, despite all the things that I had criticisms for. But still, I give this movie 3.25 out of 5. I still enjoy it for what it is.
0: Where would you like to go there, sir? How about
1: Look Who's Back?
0: Look Who's Back. 2015 Germany comedy film. Germany? Good God. Ugh. German comedy film. <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's see here. No one. I don't think you would really recognize anyone from this film. Maybe Fabian Bush you might have seen here and there. Um, let's see here. All right, so the premise of this film... Uh, is that Hitler awakens in 2014 at the site of his bunker, transported from 1945. He just awakens. There he is. He doesn't know how or why he's been transported. He just wakes up, and there he is. Okay, And he now has to experience life from the perspective of just a random dude who happens to look an awful like awful lot like Hitler. And being of course that he actually is Hitler, he's now turning, you know, he's going to make the world right again. He's going to make the world Reich again. Um, that should have been the tagline for that movie. Anyway. All right. Um, he through basically just sheer dumb luck he ends up bumping into a an a a down on his luck out of work um wannabe producer or filmmaker i guess filmmaker would be better and his name is fabian uh svatsky and um they end up kind of getting this kind of a shtick because he looks so much like Hitler that they want to take him on a tour of the countryside and in Germany and everything and and see how he reacts with the people and everything like that and just kind of make that on and put this on this network. Well, he ends up getting Germ uh Hitler becomes this kind of cult public figure as a satirical version of himself playing himself as a as a comedian. And from there the movie kind of really takes off so and and it's interesting because he is Hitler being Hitler in 2014 um, and people are responding to it so the thing is is that when the movie starts and, and so that's that that's kind of your synopsis there do with it what you will. And so it seems like this movie kind of is like, oh, wow, this this should be really interesting. And then as the movie initially kind of rolls out, you get the feeling that it's like, it's like Borat. And there's a lot of seemingly, um, you know, vanguard documentary style kind of stuff where people are just kind of like, is this really happening right? And it's like legit like they actually went and filmed people out in public just to kind of get reactions and stuff. There's actually a scene in the film where Hitler goes to a um, to, to a dry cleaner and he's trying to get his his suit cleaned and stuff and that stuff seems like they were li- like they literally just kind of walked in off the street like a documentary and just played it out. But then they drift from that into this actual dramatic narrative, um, for, or you know, film narrative, rather. It's comedy. And then they kind of try to blend this film narrative with real-life stuff where people are actually talking. And the thing is, is that while the movie is a comedy, and some of the stuff... Like, for the first 25 minutes, I really was laughing my ass off. Because they, they present it in kind of this Borat style. But then the movie they slip that out and then put it into this actual real satirical narrative um where they're where they're trying to make like a a movie that actually is saying something and that while the acting doesn't get any worse or anything all the acting stays the same and and some of the stuff is still really interesting it takes on darker connotations and I I would be fine with either or like if you're going to make a straight satire film with darker intentions that kind of shows just how easily people can be manipulated and the way that people and how you can exploit and exploit certain problems to bring people together to agree on things that are that could be horrific. I'm fine with that. If you want to make this just completely go nuts Borat style thing with outlandish behavior and Nazi salutes and getting naked in front of of uh dry cleaners and stuff to make them uncomfortable and then doing caricature street art on the road I'm fine with that but the blending of the two just didn't work more to the point I I, I mean while I Kind of got an idea, like if you're paying attention at all to the news in any way, shape, or form, you're probably hearing about the migrant crisis that's happening in Europe. Germany's been really dealing with it for a while now. Well, this movie was filmed in 2014, it takes place in 2014, and the migrant crisis is a real problem then. So, I mean, this is years in the making that we're seeing it. And so, i don't pretend to know a lot about german politics and i won't say anything more than this but it does seem like they were setting they were setting up a lot of those borat style scenes to make people who are concerned look a lot different than they really are um and so that made me question the legitimacy of the borat style stuff especially when you're trying to compare it with this dark satire that has a somewhat serious message behind it even though it's all packaged as a comedy um the ending of the movie also kind of follows the combined narrative of this serious story within the borat filmmaking thing and then again to lighten it up drops you at the end with this borat exit style over the credits the movie was two movies trying to do two different things at the same time and i think it needed to just pick one or the other um it's still really really interesting though so i give this one 3.5 um out of five and i apologize that that was long-winded and didn't make sense but hopefully it will so there you go. What do you got there, Tim?
1: I must say the actor who portrayed Hitler. Oliver Masucci. Oliver Masucci. He's probably the best Hitler
0: oh, I yeah. have seen. Outside of the Downfall dude. Outside of that down the guy from Downfall,
1: which when they parodied Downfall in this movie, I was really mad. Like he nails the like I think he nails more the subtlety and the characterization of Hitler, like I mean, I'm mm-hmm. talking as if I know so much about Hitler as a person, but <laughs> it, it just did it in a way to where he gets mad and and violent in his word with his words, and I actually was scared by he like he frightened me a little bit, you know, and that's me watching it some years after it's been made. In the comfort of my home in Los Angeles, California. You know, I think that kind of see- that says something. It speaks volumes when you have an actor portraying this character, this person, I guess, in a movie that is more so of a satirical comedy than it is a drama. And it's still being as effective, I think, as it was and also it helped whenever they were doing some of the, like the on the streets gorilla filmmaking, I guess or the uh, stylized gorilla filmmaking you could see him crack up a little bit even even when him the actor is cracking up a little bit it still kind of seemed like oh he, it was hitler cracking up about how dumb these people are that he actually believes these people are with him and listening to him and actually doing this so in in some weird strange way the movie works well you know it looks like a made-for-tv movie But it feels unique. I laughed more than I probably should have, mainly at his performance. I thought the dialogue was witty and it was smart. I just think the overall premise was brilliant. I think it's great. But like many movies like this, where you have... I'm going to draw some comparisons to... Or I did draw some comparisons to Terry Gilliam and Johnny Depp's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas only because I just watched that recently, but I'm drawing comparisons between the two because both filmmakers or both movies set out to prove a point, but I think the final product didn't uh, wasn't a good representation of that point. This movie will be known as, oh hey, it's a movie about Hitler in modern times, just as... Fear and Loathing Las Vegas is known as, oh, it's that drug movie about that one psychedelic dude from the 60s and 70s. What's his name? Oh, yeah, Hunter S. Thompson. Man, I want to do drugs like that guy. You know, that's what people kind of look at Fear and Loathing Las Vegas as. And like I said, this movie will be known as the Hitler movie. People really, I don't think, will focus on the more important layers... Or the more important topics that this movie does bring up. And I think that is the film's biggest fault. It focuses too much on the narrative at times. I think the character of... I mean, Hitler's obviously, I guess, the bad guy, I suppose. But the the bad guy who is in the film, I guess, the, the head of the studio or the head of the company or the guy who wants to be the head of this company... There's just too much time is focused on that character and his motives when I think the movie could have benefited from a shorter running time in it focusing on the matter at hand and the character of Hitler and the other character who kind of helps him out along the way. And it's a shame. I mean, movies like this frustrate the fuck out of me because a movie that could have been brilliant is just entertaining and good and unique. But it totally, it most definitely could have been something brilliant and absolutely fascinating. However, I do too land on 3.5 out of five i do recommend it for those with an open mind but definitely pay attention to the underlining message that this film definitely has
0: right on right on okay well then let us Move to 2016's *Jungle Book*, the American fantasy adventure film directed by Jon Favreau. Uh, let's see here, written by Justin Marks, based on, of course, *The Jungle Book* by Rudyard Kipling, and stars Bill Murray, Ben Kingsley, Indris Elba, Lupita Nyong'o, Scarlett Johansson, Giancarlo Esposito, Christopher Walken, and Neil Sethi. Um, all right, so this movie. It is basically Avatar, the effects, I'm sorry, the effects of, the special effects of Avatar meets Jungle Book that you know and love. The story has been somewhat altered so that you have a little bit more drama, a little bit more action, a little bit more thrill to it. It's also been altered so that it's not uh, exactly musical heavy. (laughs) Uh, although they did try to boy, they shoehorned the shit out of be like you into this fucking film, um, and so you are you've got Mowgli who is trying to basically fit in as a wolf, and yet he acts like he is a man cub. Of course, he's trying to fit in as a wolf. He does things with human ingenuity that he calls tricks and that's not the wolf way, so he is discouraged from using that. Of course, uh, Shere Khan comes along, doesn't like the fact that Mowgli's there, and, um, you know, gotta get rid of Mowgli, whatever. Well, uh, turns out that what Shere Khan really meant was, you better give me Mowgli so that I can kill him, and because that didn't happen, shit gets real, okay? Um, In the meantime mowgli is gone because they're trying to get him back to the man village so he can go and be on his own bumps in uh gets separated from bagheera bumps into baloo and then we have the rest of the movie um all right so in terms of the special effects um I thought the special effects were very, very good, and um, but I saw this movie in 3D. I saw I, I had a couple of friends of mine, and I had mentioned I had mentioned that I was going to go and see the movie after work, and they were like, "Oh, that sounds great. We want to go." And I'm like, "Sweet, let's go." And so, just based on it, when we all got off of work, we couldn't see the 2D version. We didn't want to stay up till you know got off late, and so there happened to be an 8:30 3D version. And so we go to the 3D version, and honestly, don't see this movie in 3D. 3D makes this movie bad. Um, it lose it literally loses an additional quarter star for me at the end, and all uh, you know because of just the 3D. Um, I think that it would look much better in 2D, and so bear that in mind when you go to see this movie. But there is literally so much cgi in this movie that they may as well have just gone ahead and made it a cg animated movie um and i don't know why they didn't do that um i get that they're trying to do this live action thing i get that oh the technology's so good But, I mean, it really does affect it because you've got these CGI things. And as much as it works – a lot of times you can still tell that these are CGI animals that have been put onto a real background. Um, And even worse, even worse, there's a scene when, uh, when, when Shere Khan goes to attack Mowgli. uh, And this is like, it's not the finale. This is, you know, very early in the, in the movie, Shere Khan goes to attack Mowgli. And so Mowgli has to run, run. And he's running through the fields and the Savannah. And they clearly shot at one point in a real Savannah, but he's running, and you can tell that it's a composite him in a CGI field. I'm like, why didn't you? You spent fucking 175 million dollars. You couldn't have. You couldn't have saved 20 grand to have him run in a field like a real field. You couldn't have built a field in this fucking soundstage and had him run through it. It's it's stuff like that. You can literally tell. That it's still CGI after spending so much money, so why not just do the whole thing in CGI? Um, so technical things aside, I really enjoyed John Favreau. And to John Favreau's credit, he actually did a post uh, on Reddit, um, not uh, not promoting the movie, not uh, doing like the old AMAs and stuff where it's just like, oh, come support whatever it is I'm doing. He literally is like, hey, Jungle Book is out. People have been asking me about how to see the movie. And he literally goes and gives a breakdown of, if you see it in IMAX, this is what you should expect and where you should sit. If you see it in 2D, this is what you should expect and where you should sit. And several different types of 3D and what you should expect and where you should sit. So I appreciate that he went out of his way to do that. I also appreciate that I I, I thought that he really understood uh, how to work with his cinematographer to create good pacing for the scene and to, well, to create good backdrops for the scenes because I think the way that he cut the movie together or worked with his editor to cut the movie together worked for the most part I also enjoyed the voice acting I thought the voice acting was good all the way around Neil Sethi uh who plays Mowgli as a new kid um I thought he was believable um a decent very decent act uh child actor but what I didn't like were the story elements that they forced into it. Like people were making a big deal out of um, Scarlett Johansson being a being cop, right? Well, spoiler alert: she's in the movie for 45 seconds and basically just explains the history of Mowgli. So that was worth it. But there's also, but she also has a trust in me line that I thought was cool because it was a great nod to the original and they do that a lot there's lots of great nods to the animated movie without being too much in your face they also I thought conveniently worked in but not shoehorned um bare necessities so that was fun I was glad that they did that because it was natural it kind of it worked in terms of what they were trying to do and relax um also Bill Murray's take on it was pretty clever so I was fine with that. But then we get to King Louis. King Louis is voiced by Christopher Walken. And while I was fine with the way Christopher Walken behaved, and I don't know, it was weird. For me, every animal just kind of looked like an animal, and then it had so-and-so's voice on top of it. But I really felt like when I'm looking into King Louie's face, I was looking Christopher Walken. It's weird. I that was the only animal that that happened for me too. But whatever. And then they literally shoehorned in "Be Like You" into the into the scene, and it just oh, totally broke it for me. Um, I also uh, and and while I did appreciate the tricks and and kind of showing how man is just naturally evolving away from animals and they demonstrate that in the ingenuity of the kid. Um I just don't it was a little too macgyvery even for me on that. Um but I mean I, again I get what they're trying to do. In terms of uh family viewing, I think it I think it's great family viewing. I'm sure kids will love it. Uh, if they don't already, enough thrill factor for them, enough realistic factor, none of the technical stuff that bothered me would bother them. Um But yeah, I I think the shoehorning, I think the effects that they, the way they chose to demonstrate the effects and um, just kind of overall storytelling, very decent, but just didn't quite hit the mark all the way. I'm going to give this one 3.75 out of 5 though, because um, I think the package is good. And while it's not really good, it probably could have been. If you didn't lose money on watching it in three D. So three point seven five out of
1: five, bring us home, Tim. I will have to disagree with you with three D. I saw this in IMAX three D, and I thought it definitely added another level to the film. You're not gonna miss anything okay. if you I, I just just real quick because I didn't say which kind of real three D or real what real D? What's real D it Oh yeah, yeah, yeah real D three D, the Disney. Okay. That was what I saw it in. So Oh yeah, okay, samey, so it's that's... yeah, it's like you're just wearing the glasses. Yes. So the the plastic frames.
0: There we go. Awesome. Okay. So Tim, awesome. You had a different experience. So good. Awesome. Cool. All right.
1: It definitely matters what theater you go and see it at. I've had crazy hit or miss experiences at the. You went to the best seat in town, there by you, right? (laughs) Did yeah. So
0: I went to where they. I went to where the manager has to deal with shit sometimes.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I went to go see when I when Days of Future Past came out. I went and saw it there, and it was a god awful presentation. The 3D, su- I mean, so it, it definitely depends on the studio, but I will say that uh, The Jungle Book is not required 3D. Really, the best use of 3D in that movie is the opening five or 10 minutes, where you have a real, probably my favorite Disney opening logo of any modern Disney movie to date. Absolutely beautiful, and I love how they blended it in with the opening of the film. Absolutely beautiful, and on top of that, very immersive. In fact, the movie does have beautiful uh, effects that prove to be immersive but the most immersive that the movie is is during its opening 10 minutes where you do see the disney logo and the disney logo once the camera pulls away from it into the jungle and disappears you see the jungle book and that eventually that title disappears and then you go deeper into the jungle and you hear the sight. you uh, you see the sights and hear the sounds of the jungle it's very it's great there's not a lot of music i don't remember there actually being any music you just hear the chirping and the and the crawling, and the leaves, rustling and just all that stuff that I love, and I didn't realize this, but that was really the only quiet part of the movie, because most of the film, it's action, it's loud drumming, and chasing, and running around, and... John Favreau going ooh look at this ooh look at that ooh he has to go get honey out of a tree let's make it an action sh- action scene or or getting honey off the side of a cliff let's make it an action scene ooh we they we have to do this the the character has to get from point A point to point B let's make it an action scene and it was just a lot of nonsensical stuff like that that really took me out of the film more than immersed me into the film when I think of a movie that immerses me. I think of a one that takes its time to be quiet, or isn't afraid to be quiet. Is not afraid of silence. I should say, and honestly, I think as much as people hate on fucking Avatar, I thoroughly enjoyed Avatar because yes, the movie is action packed. It is loud and can be bombastic, but the characters are in the are, are, are in the environment. How it's shot. And how the movie progresses, how some of the scenes progress, you are thrown and put into that environment. Where there is no music, where you are hearing the characters just talk, where you are hearing the story play out, or just watching the story play out. It's not constant action, which is what I love. And I think this is what that movie ultimately lacked, was just being quiet every so often. I thought the special effects were indeed beautiful, But the characters, or the animals, I should say, did look hyper-realistic. I thought the look of the characters didn't match the personalities or the voices that were given to them. Like you have a porcupine that has this bit throughout the movie where he can't get into a hole or get into a tight space because his thorns prick out, or whatever it's called. So he gets stuck. Well, the voice that is given to that cgi animal just doesn't fit because you're looking at these animals and they're all and but they have like these goofy cheer not goofy or cheery but they have these voices that you would hear or find in like finding dory for example so when you have a movie like finding dory the movie can be animated the characters can be animated to fit that particular personality you just can't really that with this movie i mean i'm kind of one of the reasons why i'm looking forward to andy circus's warner brothers jungle book adaptation is because i hope that it's more true to i mean i can't say true to life but if there are talking animals they should be limited to what they are saying Uh, this also pertains to Mowgli as well i think the boy who played Mowgli. Neil I thought he wasn't that great I thought he his voice reminded me of Charlie Calvin the kid from the Santa Claus in his dialogue of like Oh man, you gotta be kidding me! This is cool, or that's cool, you know, just doesn't fit. If you have a movie that looks very realistic, why not make the dialogue sound a little bit more realistic and a little bit more fitting to the story itself? And that's what I'm expecting Andy circus Warner Brothers, Jungle Book will be like. I'm hoping that one will be a little bit more... Or have a little bit more constrained to it when it comes to appealing to goofiness and i'm i mean in and, and especially after seeing Disney Cinderella that came out last year where they didn't even have the c g i mice that danced around and built you know put the dresses together and did all that goofy stuff I mean yeah, you had that magic and whimsy to it, but the regular old mice didn't have you know a personality or anything like that. Why I I was just really hoping the Jungle Book would have followed along those lines in some form or fashion, and in a way it does. But the commit it it needed to go a hundred percent commitment, and that's pretty much all I have to say. I mean, I could talk for another twenty minutes about Christopher Walken singing be like you it definitely should have been left on the cutting room uh, floor I'll just say that but I will end this review in saying that the movie I thought wasn't as fun as the end credits would lead you to believe in fact the most fun you will have is watching the credits to this movie because of how the credits are presented to you I will not spoil that for you whatsoever it's actually pretty cool and neat I'm just gonna land on a three point two five out of
0: five all right well then that brings us to the end of the movies and let's talk about the movies for next week those movies for next week are going to be green room high rise and the lady in the van all right and that's the official end of the movies and i do believe it's it is now time for the spiel is it not sir spiel on All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can find them at reverbnation.com and facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. The exception to which will be, of course, our discussions with Matt and Tim. That is brought to us by Muse Open. Dot org. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can even send us uh follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. Cast. You can also follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that is your heart's desire. As always, don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. And if there's still time by the time you hear this, please head over to PodcastAwards.com. Go to that little top left place, and that's the People's Choice. You can nominate us there. And of course, uh, TV and film is the bottom right hand section there. And nominate us, please, if you can. And so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Bill Murray, I get to say this. There aren't many downsides to being rich other than paying taxes and having relatives asking for money, but being famous. That's a 24-hour job right there. Take care,
1: cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week.